All right, are you ready for God's word? Are you ready for God's word? Amen, me too. So we are on week three of our long, slow journey through the Sermon on the Mount. And it's all about being messy together. That being a Jesus community is messy stuff. And we've been saying each week that the way of Jesus is messy, but it's worth it. Amen? Following the way of Jesus is so messy, but it's so worth it. So last week, we were starting off at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And so because I have a strong conviction that God's word is better than my words, we're going to read it again. Novel idea. So we're getting a running start into our new text for this week. So just uh, hear the word of the Lord. You can stay seated. It's not on the screen, I don't think. I don't remember if I put it on the screen or not. But hear the word of the Lord. This is Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. This is the text we've been studying for the last two weeks. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. The word of our Lord. So the last two weeks, we've been talking about how this opening of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus teaching kingdom theology. He's teaching us all about the way of God's upside-down kingdom. He's coming before the people who claim to follow him, and he's saying, everything that you think based on the culture that you live in, flip it upside down, and that is a faithful interpretation of the way of my kingdom. And so last week, we pulled out a few things. We, we got caught up in these verses, the Beatitudes, that are like, blessed are these people and blessed are these people. And we, we zoomed out and we said, let's stop trying to be blessed and just aim to be a blessing. That at the core of all the Beatitudes is really this sense that the people of God are really to be a blessed gift to the kingdom of the world, showing them a way that is good and beautiful and whole through King Jesus. So the question I've been asking myself this week as I too am, am sitting in this word and aiming to be transformed is, does my existence 
following the way of Jesus shift the world around me even just a touch closer to on earth as it is in heaven? Does my existence make that kind of impact? Because I wonder if the answer's no, then I probably need to go back to what does it look like to follow the way of Jesus? We talked about last week how the kingdom of God is here now. It's not something we wait for until heaven, but it's here now through the people of God faithfully following the way of Jesus. So as people who follow the way of Jesus, we live in God's good, beautiful, but broken world. And we journey together as the people of God, presenting the good news of the already here, but not yet here, kingdom of God. So week after week, we come together in this place as the people of God, and we, we lean into the formation of Jesus, and we resist the deformation of the culture around us. And again, not because culture is dirty, nasty, rotten, but because it's good, beautiful, just broken. And we want to show the kingdom of God way that is redeeming all things. Amen? So that's where we've been. So we're going to continue on now in the Sermon on the Mount, reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. And I want to remind you that we're kind of zooming out of this text, and we're taking a bird's eye view. Rather than getting really into the nitty gritty, we're trying to zoom out and see what was Jesus trying to shape and form his followers into. So if you're willing and able, I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of God's word this morning, and you can follow along on the screen. But together, let's hear the words of the Lord this morning. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear... Not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So, if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Woo! The word of our Lord. You can be seated. 
That is a tough word. So if you'll zoom out with me for a minute, here's where I think we need to start. This is in your notes in the Bible app. If you go to events, you can find Bentonville Community Church, and we have sermon notes for today. But the first thing that I want to pull out from God's word is this. Jesus spoke kingdom values over everyone. Jesus spoke kingdom values over everyone. And this is significant, but let's go back. Because the society in which Jesus was ministering into was deeply segmented, in that culture, certain people only talked to certain people. Maybe kind of like middle school? I don't know. But certain people only talk to certain people. And so this is the culture in which it was the hierarchy structure. This is the culture in which Jesus is teaching. And so Jesus did something really radical. He spoke these kingdom values over everyone. Let me show you a doodle from the book, What If Jesus Was Serious? Because I think this will help us. So Jesus is speaking to the crowds, right? So there's all these different subsections of people. And typically the people that get the attention are the important people, right? The powerful people, the 1%, the politicians, the academics, the marketers, the middle class. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. This is a message for all of these people. In fact, if we back up to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says that the crowds gathered and Jesus went on the mountainside and, and spoke to the crowds. It's interesting because the Greek word for crowd is really, really significant, and it's kind of awesome. But that Greek word crowd essentially means large group of ordinary people. I mean, y'all are awesome, but we're just ordinary folks, amen? Large crowd of ordinary people. Jesus wasn't strategic in the cultural way. He didn't gather a crowd of powerful politicians or wise teachers or religious scholars. He had the ragtag common people, and those were the people he taught the kingdom values to. Y'all, how does that feel? We would have been in that crowd. And Jesus, in a culture where maybe we were seen as bottom of the barrel, especially me as a female in that culture, nothing, right? And Jesus would have invited all of us to that mountainside, and he would have spoken the dignity of kingdom values over every single one of us. That is awesome. And so Jesus gathers this ragtag group of people and he speaks the, the ways of the upside down kingdom over all of them. And Jesus says something really radical and awesome. To these very ordinary people, Jesus says, you, you ordinary people, not the ones in positions of power and authority, but you, ordinary people, you are the salt and light of the world. Of the world. Not just Galilee. I feel like they were probably mind blown. They were like, right, Jesus. 
But he didn't say this to the expected leaders. He said it to the ordinary, common people. He said, you are salt and light of the entire world. And something about that makes me want to step up and say, here I am, Lord. Ordinary, common, but use me. Amen? Let's read verses 13 through 16 again. Jesus says to this common group, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Church, let's just receive this today. Jesus called ordinary people to live ordinary lives, transformed and empowered by an extraordinary God. I think that should be in your notes. Jesus called ordinary people, like you and me, to live ordinary lives. He didn't expect anything cray-cray out of us. He said, just live your life for me. Ordinary lives, transformed and empowered by an extraordinary God. You see, salt and light are common, right? They are essential, normal life ingredients. Let's think about them briefly. Salt prevents decay, right? You salt something and it preserves it. Perhaps that's like defense. And light illuminates offense, perhaps. You know, there's been this really weird, dumbfound, I don't get it, argument in the church for more recent centuries about whether we should be about salvation first or justice or, or like where our focus should be. Should we be helping people or should we be saving people? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Seems like you've already wrestled with that. And I feel like salt and light ends that argument because salt is the thing that prevents decay. What is decaying our world? The things that are not just. And so we advocate for justice in our saltiness. We are preserving God's good world from the decay and decline of sin. That is justice. And light illuminates darkness with truth. That's our offense. That's salvation. The way Jesus teaches, they work together and are essential, basic, common elements. We are a people of salvation and we are a people of justice. And Jesus had the word justice first. God had the word justice first. Culture has stolen that. Read the Bible. Let God define justice for us. Side note, I should not have even gotten on that. 
Pliny, which is a hilarious name, firstborn son, what do you think, Pliny? Okay, lived in the first century, and, and, and Pliny said this. He said that there is nothing more useful in the world than salt and sunshine. Likewise, in a dark, deteriorating world, there is nothing more wonderful here at this church. There is nothing more wonderful than simple people living as Jesus taught. Y'all, we don't have to like, I don't know, do these massive things. I think God just says, be faithful to me in your day-to-day life, and he will do the massive things. I love that. That just like, weight off my shoulders. Salt and light, these things that Jesus is calling the people of God to be, salt and light are the outcomes of ordinary lives lived in rich communion with God. These very natural, basic, essential things, salt and light, are the natural outcomes of ordinary lives lived in rich communion with God. Again, something that just makes me breathe a sigh of relief is, man, if I can just be ordinary old me and run after the heart of God, something tells me that God is going to do the good things through me without me really thinking much about it. I'm just following Jesus, aiming at following his good way, and out of that comes the things of the kingdom. So let's be salt and light, church. Let's run after the heart of God. Ordinary people just aiming to follow the beautiful way of Jesus together. You know, there's a conundrum in the Sermon on the Mount. And everybody said, (gasps) right? There's a conundrum in the Sermon on the Mount. Let me read it to you. Uh, We're going to go back to verses 14 and 16. If you notice, we're reading the scripture over and over again, hoping that it goes deep into our souls. Amen? 14, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. However, later in the Sermon on the Mount, it appears that Jesus is saying the exact opposite. Look at Matthew 6, 1 with me. One chapter later, same sermon. Jesus says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Okay, Jesus, which one is it? Our text today calls us really to this concept of public piety, doing the good things of the kingdom for all to see so that God can get glory. But literally moments later, in the same sermon, Jesus tells us the exact opposite. Do good deeds in private. 
So church, we find ourselves in this place. Which is it? Do good, kingdom of God things in public or private? I'm going to argue today that the answer is yes. Both. <laughs> Let's keep going. I, I think from the Sermon on the Mount, we can get this simple framework that helps us discern, is this something that I do publicly, or is this something that I do privately in the name of my Lord? So look at verse 16 with me once again. Jesus said, in the same way, like a lamp in a house that shines, that you don't hide, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. What are the next two words? So that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I think we can glean this really simple framework to help us discern public or private. Two questions. The first one is this. What is my intent? That's the first question we have to ask ourselves. What is my intent? You see, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they gave, they prayed, and they fasted to impress and receive approval from others. That's what Jesus is speaking against in this moment. Jesus says, let our lights shine to bring glory to God, not to ourselves. So the heart motivation is his concern. What is my intent? Our heart motivation must be oriented to the good of God's kingdom, not our own benefit. Amen? So that's the first question. What is my intent? The second question is this. Does this benefit others? Does this benefit others? Later in chapter 6, we're going to talk about giving, praying, and fasting. And Jesus basically tells us to do all of those things behind closed doors. And we'll get there and unpack that. But those things are mainly practices of personal devotion. They're things that we do that spiritually form us into the way of Jesus. I, I think the salt and light that Jesus is referring to are the useful things that he might call us to do that help others. So does this benefit others? I want to read this quote from the book, What If Jesus Was Serious? I hope you're reading it along with us. But Skyjatani said in that book, if the act is for my benefit or will result in my glory, it should remain hidden. If the act is for the benefit of others and for God's glory, we should not hide it. So a simple framework to help us discern, what is my intent? Does this benefit others? I was thinking I will uh, use this as an example. Pastor Debbie sent me a picture while I was up in my office prepping for today of her class, fourth through sixth grade? Fourth through sixth graders, and they were huddled around our little uh, pantry, food pantry. I'm failing on the language, but it's out directions. That way? On the street. Oh, no, not the big food pantry. Little food pantry. Street side food pantry. Box that you put food in. And people come and get it. Sorry. That thing. 
And it's a picture of her students gathered around because they have filled it so that people in our community can come get food. Y'all, we don't hide that stuff. Why? Because we want people to know that we want to feed them. You know what I'm saying? So yes, I will spam social media with that picture because we want people to know that we have food. We are BCC and we love Jesus and we love them and we have food for them. So I think that's something we have no need to feel like we need to hide. Because by feeding hungry people, we are answering our own prayer to bring heaven to earth in the here and now. Does that make sense? So let's continue on. We're going to go on to the rest of the verses. This is verses 17 through 20. I'll read it to you again. And this is where Jesus shifts into talking about the law. And what Jesus is referring to is the law of Moses, which is found in the very beginning of your Bible, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So let's go back to the word of the Lord. Verse 17. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So, if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Honestly, church, I kind of wonder if right there Jesus wasn't exercising some holy sarcasm. But that is not the point of this sermon. Okay, first takeaway from those verses, 17 through 20, is this really important thing. This is in your notes. The Old Testament matters. The Old Testament matters. I think there's a tendency because the Old Testament is confusing and weird sometimes and doesn't always make sense that we can disregard it a little bit and value the New Testament over it, but the Old Testament matters, and I think this is Jesus making sure that we understand that the law and the words that God spoke in the Old Testament still have value in our lives today. In verse 17, Jesus said that he came to fulfill the purpose of the law. That word fulfill means bring to completion, and I think we can boil it down to this. The Old Testament and the law all of it points to Jesus. And we really cannot understand Jesus without understanding the lens of the Old Testament. Even the sacrifice that Jesus made really does not, does not make sense to our brains if you don't understand the ways of the Old Testament law. And so, together, as the people of God, we continue to lean into that which is sometimes hard to understand. 
Because we know that Jesus is revealed through all of God's word. So the Old Testament matters. Another major takeaway from that section of scripture that we just read is this. I think Jesus is trying to remind us that our internal transformation is greater than external expectations. Our internal transformation is greater than our external expectations. Now, why did I make the sarcasm joke that I made about verse 20 and the Pharisees and us having to be as righteous as the Pharisees? Well, the Pharisees had everything right on the outside, but their hearts were not pure. So internal transformation means way more to King Jesus than the external expectations of our religious duty. Let me show another doodle. I think this one is hilarious. But this is from What If Jesus Was Serious. We have the monkeys, my daughter would love this, on the left side. See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. The Pharisees had this down. But what they were missing was this. The heart transformation. Desire no evil. Allowing our hearts to be fully transformed by the kingdom of God in such a way that it has radically transformed what compels our hearts. That's what Jesus is concerned about. You see, the Pharisees got the externals down, but their obedience was only skin deep. And at the end of the day, true righteousness, truly following the way of Jesus, occurs at the heart level. Jesus is not convinced in mere conformity, He wants our hearts. He wants the full and total transformation of our hearts. And the reality is this. If the inside is right, then the external behaviors will follow. But think about it this way, church. When we're worried about externals first, we're doing all the hard work. When it's all about the outside and what people see on the outside, I am mustering up good deeds. When it is heart transformation, the natural things that emerge are the things of the kingdom, and it's not hard work because it is God's spirit alive and active in the people of God. And that's what King Jesus wants for us. I want to read kind of a a long quote. Again, if you want to read along, this is a great book for your quiet time with the Lord. What if Jesus was serious? But read this. The book just says it better than I can. Very often, in religious communities, we are content with adherence to external expectations of conduct and give little attention to the inward posture of the heart As long as a person appears devout, uses the right words, and participates in the right religious activities, we don't look much deeper. They are often given a pass on their anger, greed, jealousy, bitterness, lust, or bigotry. Such a person might be acceptable in a church today, but Jesus said they are unfit for God's kingdom. 
He doesn't merely desire people who appear good or even those who do good. He wants people who are good. That kind of inside-out transformation cannot be achieved through laws alone. It must happen through the power of the Spirit alive in us. So church, we don't get a pass on the external things, but Jesus knows that the, the source of the good things of the kingdom is a transformed heart. So Jesus didn't just come to erase the law. He came to take it deep into the hearts of his people, that it might become the effortless work of God's kingdom rather than mere conformity to a religious practice. So what comes out of each of us must come from a Jesus Christ-enabled, Holy Spirit-transformed heart that desires the way of Jesus above all else. So I've said a lot of things today, and I think we can sum it all up in this one call to action for the people of God, and that's this. Let's start with the heart. Let's start with the heart. Does God truly have full access to the transformation of who we are in our inner being so that we can become the people of God bringing the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to invite the worship and prayer team to prepare for a time of reflection. But I want to draw us back to the passage that I shared with you guys when I came to interview here. Philippians 2.13 has been my life verse for many years. It says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And I think Paul was really summarizing what Jesus is telling us in the Sermon on the Mount. I love that truth. Jesus, if we will allow the Spirit to do so, will make us want the things of the kingdom of God. I'll admit it. There are some things that I do not want good things for other people. There are some times when I do not want to pray for the benefit of the kingdom of God because I'm still broken at times. And I cling to that word that says, if I will just ask, God will transform what my heart wants. He will make me want what he wants. And that is what heart transformation is all about. So together as the people of God, we should be deeply concerned and invested in the things that foster the transformation of our hearts. Here together, we encounter the living God week after week together. And as we gather, we are shaped and formed collectively into the way of Jesus. And we do it together so we can help each other along the way. And then we have opportunities to grow in the way of Jesus as we gather throughout the week in community groups. The whole aim of that is to help take God's word deep into our core so that we might truly live out the kingdom of God. 
But that is all aimed at the transformation of our hearts. You know, I have a story before we go into a time of reflection. We talked earlier about God is really just calling us to be ordinary people, living our ordinary lives, transformed and empowered by an extraordinary God. My mom was here this week because we're moving, and she was telling me a story of a funeral that she went um, to. And the man had a story, like all of us. And it had its, its shadow moments. And in my mom's story, those shadow moments impacted her deeply. But she went to the funeral because she believes in the redemption of God, and she saw all kinds of people. And long story short, she had to leave early, and as she was walking out of the funeral service, two young men were coming in, and she was like, these have to be grandkids, I probably know them. So my mom, being my mom, was like, hey, are you here for so-and-so's funeral? And they're like, yes. And, and she was like, well, how did you know him? Are, are you grandkids? And they were like, no. We work at the meat counter at High V." And he came to High V, and every week he would talk to us, and he loved us. And it was so impactful going to High V to the meat counter that they came to his funeral. Y'all, ordinary people living ordinary lives, transformed and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the extraordinary works of the kingdom of God. Man. So us being the salt and light of the world is not this big, extravagant thing. I mean, it is big and extravagant, but it's big and extravagant because God is big and extravagant, not because we are we get to be ordinary people, living our daily, daily lives, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so today I want to invite you to pray one simple prayer with me. And that is a prayer of heart transformation. It's a prayer I pray, or at least try to pray every morning. Lord, make me want today what you want. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and the worship team is going to lead us into a song of reflection. We have these altars of surrender down front. They'd be a, a great place to kneel before the Lord and just lay everything aside and say, Have our hearts, Lord. Transform us from the inside out, day in and day out, as we aim to follow the way of Jesus. So I'll be here available for anointing as well. Let's pray. God, we just invite you to move among us today. We have heard your word, your call to be salt and light in our world. We've recognized through the story of the Pharisees that you care about our hearts. You want radical heart transformation so that the work of your kingdom comes out of us as a natural reflection of what you're doing in our hearts. And so, God, we're coming before you today as the people of God at BCC saying, you have our hearts. 
have your way. It's in the mighty name of Jesus I pray.